Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll sit down with the head of Samsung in Ireland to hear about their new foldable phones and the upcoming trends in the world of mobile. The Director of Digital Transformation and Open Innovation at the HSE will join me to discuss the lives that could be saved if we embrace technology in our health system. And we'll hear how Curry's is helping you declutter your home. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, on Wednesday afternoon, Samsung unveiled their latest suite of smartphones, wearables and earbuds. The company is continuing to push the foldable form factor, which is quite exciting and a real point of difference from everything else that's in the Irish market. I sat down with Connor Pierce, the corporate VP of Samsung in the UK and Ireland, alongside News Talk's deputy business editor, Gavin McLaughlin, for a chat about 5G, affordability and upcoming consumer trends. But Connor started by introducing us to the new lineup. It's the beginning of a next chapter in our quest to make foldables mainstream. And uh, we have the joy and privilege of launching the next generation of foldable devices. That's the Samsung Z, Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Galaxy Z Flip 4. Um, and, you know, we've been on this journey for, for several years now, and uh, we're really excited because we've seen great momentum in the market and really strong uptake on the foldable devices. The Z Fold 4 is really, if you like, um, a multitasking powerhouse in your pocket. And the Z Flip 4 is the most versatile and compact camera phone in your pocket. So we have two different uh, two different uh, experiences, and that's something we've learned from the past because it also attracts a very different audience. Um, but overall, I think, yeah, it's a big day and we're looking forward to bringing it to life in the, in the Irish market. Yeah, it's funny. I, when the, the foldable screen technology started coming out, initially a lot of people were very excited then people crinkled their nose going, would I actually want one and use one? But I've seen so many of the Z Flip 3 devices out and about. And I'm interested to see that Samsung is continuing with this. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to diversify the range? Because we know the S range. We know the A range. I was talking about one on the Pat Kenny show on Tuesday. So where does the Z and the foldable phones fit in? And why is it important for you to have the different strands? Yeah. So in my 80 years in Samsung, one thing that I've learned deeply is that we are very much focused on listening to consumers, listening to people, what they need, what they want and how we can improve it. So it's listening, learning and innovating. And for the size of Samsung, it's a, it's inspiring to see how quickly we can adopt those learnings and put them into the portfolio. So and therefore, of course, we have a very large portfolio to address multiple sectors of the market from A series to our S series to our Z series. And also outside of that, the ecosystem is becoming very important. I talk about the ecosystem, I'm talking about our buds and our watch, et cetera, and also our new laptop range. Because people, especially the learnings from our time in COVID when we were locked down, people need to and want to invest in the best tech, but not individual experiences, they want the ecosystem. And uh, we've, it's really great to see um, the encouraging uptake in our ecosystem in the Irish market. I think um, a few years ago, one in five of the Samsung smartphone base in the in Ireland, which is around 1.7 million people, had plus one Samsung device. And that's changed now. So one in three have another device. 
This is very important because one, it makes the ecosystem and the overall experience much more uh, attractive and and compelling for them, but also much more loyal to our to our base to the um, experience. So yeah, I think we're really in a privileged position to be able to roll this out. And those multiple form factors are also very important. Jess, you know, I've been in this business for too long, 25 years now, so I've been around the block a few times. But actually, I'm most excited about bringing the foldable range to market. And it's proving very successful in attracting not just our own base, but importantly for us to grow our share in the market, it's also attracting a lot of people from our competitors. So just to give you an example, one in four of our flip sales are coming from non-Samsung brands. And a significant portion of that, around 12%, is coming from iPhone. So I think they're, you know, they're not getting what they want from their incumbent brands, and they, they see Samsung as a trusted brand that's offering a different choice. And uh, the foldable experience is really resonating with those who are using it. Why do people love the foldable so much? Of course, it's got a compact screen, a compact form factor, but a large screen experience. But the most used feature of a foldable device is actually the flex mode which you may be familiar with. So you can actually tilt the device in such a manner that you can actually use it for taking videos, our teams calls, our um, photographs. So I think it has that versatility where people people can customize and personalize the use of it as they wish. Yeah, it sits up like a little deck chair, basically. You can have it on a table and it can take photographs and videos for you. And it is, it is an exciting sense of innovation. And I think that's why I've seen so many of them on the street, because we all know the standards, like I have an S22 in my back pocket and I love it and it's a beautiful device, but it's the standard smartphone format, I think, uh, that people have come to know. What I'm interested in, though, is that you mentioned COVID there. You know, technology became so important for people during COVID. Um, their smartphone became their office and their entertainment hub all in one, much more so than ever before. However, we now also have the cost of living crisis and people are weighing up the cost of the devices, how much they use the technology, how much they need the technology. So how, you know, how from a business point of view is Samsung weighing up that seesaw to ensure that people can still get a really, really good device without breaking the bank? Yeah, that's a good question. And of course, uh, very relevant in today's world that we're facing a lot of headwinds in the market. And I think that's something that Samsung is, is very, we're, we're very agile. And importantly, again, we're listening to consumers and we're wondering how can we help them buy into this new tech. It, interesting from a market point of view. So the actual market itself, the premium market, that's anything over uh, five, 600 euros retail, is actually growing and has been growing in Ireland for, since 2018. People are willing to invest in better technology, especially, as you said, during COVID when they want the best of the best. And our share within that's improving thanks to the S series and also our Z series. Now, with that in mind, of course, we need to address affordability. We want this to be affordable. We want it to be accessible. So let me talk about those two points. From an affordability point of view, I think never before have we championed a trade-in proposition that's now coming to life this afternoon when we're unpacking the device. So we have a very um, compelling and very affordable mechanism upon which people can actually um, upgrade their upgrade their device to a phone. And everyone has a phone in their pocket. And that phone represents a value. It has a residual value. So, for example, if someone decides to go for a, a, a Z Flip 4, we can give them up to £250 um, in terms of the device they have in their pockets. We have an any phone, any condition. A, a guaranteed trade-in proposition available. And then for you going for the Z Fold 4, we can offer up to 520 euros. So we're trying to reduce the value, the cost of the device so people can uh, buy into this experience. Because we know when they switch over to a foldable phone, they'll never go back. 
they love the experience. So I think we're very we're very aware of that and we're doing everything in our power to, to make sure that not just Samsung, but actually with working with our partners, that we're trying to overcome that concern. You mentioned, Connor, there that um, you mentioned that the premium segment of the market is still growing, which is kind of amazing because obviously we w- I presume you would have seen massive growth uh, during COVID when devices were so important to people. Can I presume the rate of growth has even if it's still continuing, it, it must have slowed down since then. And going forward, do you anticipate that actually things might contract because we know people are, are suffering a bit and, you know, given that they've bought all this tech a year or two ago, maybe they don't need to upgrade, uh, you know, uh, as soon as they would have. Yeah, I think the premium market is definitely growing, as I said, since 2018 and, and since post-COVID. And of course, with the with the economic conditions we're facing now, of course, we've seen a slowdown. But it now represents around 40% of the value of the market in Ireland. And it's been growing in the last in the first six months of this year, 5%. So of course, there's headwinds ahead of us. So we're very aware of that. And again, back to my point about making, it's our responsibility to make sure that people have access to the best technology and the best experience across the Samsung ecosystem, which is why we're putting these trading propositions in place. Okay. Just uh, to follow on your question there, if you don't mind, on accessibility. So one of the challenges we faced in previous launches of Foldable, this is our fourth, is that during lockdown, retail was closed and therefore people didn't have the opportunity to experience the device. We know from our research that around 39% of people who actually experience hands-on are more likely to buy it. In our previous launch last year for the Fold 3 and Flip 3, we had um, only one in 10 Irish stores had a hands-on device. Um, Eight out of 10 Irish mobile phone shops have a hands-on device because we know that's a really important part to give them peace of mind and also help them understand the experience. So to your question there about affordability and accessibility, we're doing all in our power. And of course, we will learn as we go through the launch period. If we take a step back for a minute, can you just give us an idea of your day job? What does the business you lead do? What, what's your uh, task to accomplish? And, and, in, and in particular, the people in Ireland, what are they doing? Yeah. OK, well, I've been in Samsung now for 80 years and my role is uh, to lead the mobile business, uh, the mobile experience business across UK and Ireland. Um, UK and Ireland would be regarded as a flagship market. It's probably the most competitive, the most sophisticated, the most advanced. Um, it's quite unique in several factors in that it's uh, it's uh, primarily an operator market. Therefore, a lot of people have contracts. Over 51% of the market in Ireland has a contract. Um, and also a lot of the business goes through online and contact centres, which is quite unique. So my role is leading a team of 500 people across UK and Ireland and really helping us. I mean, we have a an abundance of riches across our portfolio. And my role is really to ensure that one, we listen to consumers, listen, learn and innovate and bring the best experience of life in a compelling manner so they can understand it and, and give them that trusted experience in all our in all our um, channels. I think the other element, of course, I have a duty of care with my team. Uh, my role, my father used to say, my role is um, to surround yourself with the best people. And uh, I think I'm really proud of the Irish team and the UK team and what they've delivered in terms of driving our market share and bringing that ecosystem to life. The Irish team themselves are a, a multidisciplinary team. It's optimized in terms of its structure and its support and its um, and its functionality, but very much a sales and marketing focused entity. And they've built very good partnerships and very, um, very engaged in the Irish market. Of course, they do get some support from the UK team. I think um, if my if Samsung headquarters look to Samsung UK and Ireland, what they look for is innovation. Mm-hmm. They look for bravery. 
they look for um, never been done before activities because we we are on the bleeding edge, the leading edge. We're trailblazers, if you like. How can we really bring these experiences to life in a compelling manner? And again, I think the Irish market is a fabulous place to try new things. And uh, thankfully, I've got a great team of creative and uh, creative and brave individuals in the team who are constantly looking for ways in which we can address some of the concerns. To my point about the affordability, this is their own creation. We recognise as an affordability issue. Therefore, we're going to champion um, a, a, a nationwide trading proposition uh, for the Z series. And going back to the, the Samsung ecosystem, you, you briefly mentioned some of the wearables and I'm intrigued to see the development of the wearable beyond just counting how many steps you take and how much you sleep. There's also wellness elements to it. And I think post-COVID, that's something that people are very much aware of. Um, and I think, again, the Irish team and the Irish market is a perfect example of this because we are tech savvy. We're into our technology and we also want the benefits of feeling better in ourselves. So is that part of the messaging when it comes to the watches that it's more than just, you know, getting your WhatsApp messages and counting your steps? It's it's built into the ingrained into your daily life to make you feel better. Yeah, it's very important. To put, again, this is not just about hardware. It's about making sure that we address some of the concerns of the people and which is, of course, mental well-being and, and health, overall health. And uh, I think our Galaxy Watch uh, journey we've been on has only improved and since the watch for last the galaxy watch for last year we've introduced an industry leading bioactive sensor a three-in-one sensor that can give you all your body stats but importantly it also helps you and guides you on how to sleep better for example how to have a more balanced life so i think that yeah we're, we're really addressing some of the the well-being issues that people are are very aware of and for me i think again people are definitely spending more time outdoors and it's great to see um, people doing that because I think it's just about a more balanced life. So with the new watch, um, the Watch 5 and the Watch 5 Pro, we're actually entering a new market with the Watch 5 Pro. So this is a this is really for the um, extreme athletes out there, the triathlons, etc. And um, I'm looking forward to bringing that to my to life to life myself. As you know, I spend some time when I'm in Ireland. Not enough, unfortunately. My first thing I do in the morning is go down to Clandy Beach for a swim. So I'm yeah. looking forward to uh, putting it to test myself. That's great. And I want to pick up on one other thing briefly that you mentioned as well, which is the life cycle of devices. Um, on Tech Talk over the last number of months, we've spoken a lot about the life cycle of a device, how refurbished devices have a part to play in the tech ecosystem, um, that the longevity of devices is super important. And of course, we covered when uh, Samsung and others changed what comes in the box, changed the, the packaging and so on. How much of that is an environmental push and environmental awareness by companies such as yourselves to ensure that we're not buying a phone and then 18 months later, it ends up in a drawer, never to be touched again, or in a landfill? Yeah, this is very important and a huge part of what we're trying to deliver at Samsung. And UK and Ireland, again, is, is really doing our best to try and address this concern. And um, you know, we have an initiative called Galaxy for the Planet in 2025. And the idea there is that we use ocean-based plastic and also post-consumer materials in all our Galaxy products. Um, and secondly, we want to eliminate all plastic in our packaging. And we want to eliminate all waste into landfill. And actually, we've made some significant steps on the new Galaxy Z foldable series. Um, up, up to 20% of this material is now being used in our, Z, in our Galaxy Z devices. And we've removed, uh, we only use 100% um, paper in our packaging. And we reduce the size of the packaging. So we're doing everything we, in our power to ensure that we are and environmentally friendly. Aside from that, and to my point earlier on, when we offer a nationwide trade-in proposition through our through our partners, naturally we will get a lot of phones returned. And these are refurbished, recycled, 
because it's very important. We uh, people always want to have the best technology, but they have to do it in in a in a fit for purpose and fit for future manner. So I think that's a really huge part of what we're trying to deliver um, in terms of ensuring that we have sustained recycling of devices. Mm-hmm. Speaking of other trends that are going on, I, I want to ask you about 5G and in particular, is it a flop? Because according to Comreg data here, as of Q1, we'd only 500,000 odd 5G plans here, including broadband 5G. I'd put it to you, People don't actually need 5G. 4G is perfectly fine for the vast majority of people. Well, I disagree with you in that 5G is a flop. In fact, I think 5G is the future. And this is a new technology and it takes a while for it to roll out across the across the market. But where it is rolled out, people are people will not go back to 4G because the, the experience is incredible. The speed you have, the connectivity you have, especially if you have multiple devices connecting off the same network. So actually, I think it's definitely, of course, this is a huge investment on behalf of the partners. It's also a huge education to make sure people understand the value and, and the benefit of 5G. And thirdly, of course, 5G is only as good as the services that you use upon it. I think 5G will open up a huge market for new services, new experiences across new industries. Actually, I, I, I think I'm really excited about 5G and, you know, it's performing very well. In fact, um, the, the vast majority of the devices being sold now are 5G devices. And that's important because you want to be future proof when you decide to buy upgrade your device. When you're talking about new experiences and that, I mean, certainly I can understand its usefulness in, in industry and particularly in manufacturing. But for the consumer, are, are there any, is there anything that stands out to you as an experience that, that might get people saying, you know what, this is great, I don't want 4G? Yeah, I think, um, and I'll give you an example from Korea that I've spent a lot of time in. So um, a very advanced market, a very advanced, sophisticated 5G market. So some of the network operators there have made a, have basically enabled the um, uh, sports stadiums and stadiums for concerts. And they have a, they have a 5G network within that, allowing people who don't necessarily attend the match or the concert to watch the dev- watch the show on their device in multiple angles. So imagine the bandwidth that is required for that. So basically you wrap the entire stadium in 5G and therefore you can give access through multiple angles to individual viewers on multiple devices anywhere on the 5G network. So that's a very different experience for anyone and also opens up that experience to people who can't necessarily travel to that that event. So that's just an example from a from a consumer point of view as opposed to enterprise. But it's, it's performing very well in Korea. You mentioned that, you mentioned you've been working in the industry for a long time. You worked at Nokia from 2004 to 2015, which I think is quite an interesting stretch because that company went through quite a lot in that period. You know, went from being a titan, really, to, to being totally overmatched by, by the changes in the industry. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, it was a fascinating experience and a, a privilege to work in such a brand for a long time in multiple markets. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about um, different markets. I had the opportunity to lead the business in Middle East and North Africa, in Turkey and also in the UK. And it went through an enormous transition uh, from um, from when I was in Ireland over to Dubai, etc. And I think the biggest challenge was uh, change. I think if I look back on that time and I, I still live that every day, is that you need to keep the consumer, the end user at the beginning, the middle and the end of every conversation and every decision you make in the business. Second, you need to listen, learn and innovate. And you need to make sure that you're bringing value. Because you don't want what happened at Nokia to happen at Samsung. 
I, yeah. Well, actually, what happened to Nokia was um, interesting. So I went through the journey when they moved from the Symbian base to the to the Microsoft Windows base, and I had the opportunity to build that business from scratch in the UK. And a, a massive leadership challenge, but a great learning for me. And again, back to my point, Samsung is completely obsessed with satisfying the consumer, completely obsessed with innovating, not just for the sake of it, but bringing meaning, meaningful innovations to make people's lives better. Not just from a connectivity point of view, but as Jess said earlier on, from an overall well-being point of view. And we have a, an enormous ecosystem. One of the reasons why I decided to join Samsung eight years ago was because no other company has the breadth and depth of the portfolio from mobile to TVs to domestic appliances. And I hope one day that we'll be able to connect all these through our smart things technology so that we can introduce a, a, a true connected experience at home. And that's a huge opportunity for us to outflank our competition because no one can do better than Samsung. But only if we listen and continue to, to delight our consumers. Yeah, you mentioned there the competition. And my final question is, this is a big week for Samsung. We know that the S range comes out uh, hopefully early next year. Do you look in your wing mirrors to see what others are doing? Or are you very much just focused on the Samsung output, the Samsung schedule, the Samsung lineup and how to make that vision of the smart things all talking to each other the second you walk in your front door, make that happen. You know, I think um, I, we have a, we're, we're in a privileged position to define, build and own the foldable category. And I've always in my career, no matter what job I've done in whatever company, I've always encouraged competition. And when you're building a new category, it takes a lot of effort, of course, because you're building something new, a new experience. And it's really encouraging to see it's been adopted uh, strongly. Um, we expect about over 50% of our Galaxy portfolio by 2025 to be a foldable device. Uh -huh. And we will continue to lead in that. Uh, but we do welcome competition because basically competition will raise the tide for the category. It will raise awareness, but also brings choice to the consumers. And that's mm -hmm. ultimately what it's about. It brings forces, it brings choice and forces innovation with those who are bringing that technology to life. So I think that's something we're very focused on in just, again, delighting the consumers and trying to find a way to continue innovation to, to bring it to retain our leadership. That was Connor Pierce, Corporate VP of Samsung in the UK and Ireland, speaking to myself and Gavin McLaughlin the day the company unveiled their new foldable phones. And I'll have first impressions of those new devices on Tuesday's Pat Kenny show. But I'd love to know, would you buy a foldable phone? They're a little bit pricey. The flip starts at just over a thousand euro and the fold is just under two thousand euro. Uh, you can drop me an email, techtalk at newstalk.com or get me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Coming up next here on News Talk, we're going to hear how digital technology could save lives if we embrace it within the HSE. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, you don't need me to tell you that the health service here in Ireland has been under more stress than usual over the last number of years between the pandemic and indeed the ransomware attack. That hasn't stopped the work of the digital transformation and open innovation team, however. Listen to this. Two and a half years of quality life could be added to every Irish citizen every five years if digital health is embraced in this country. The Director of Digital Transformation and Open Innovation at the HSE has called into question the political will to deliver a digital health agency, which has been government policy since 2013. Earlier this week, I spoke to Professor Martin Curley, who is also a professor of innovation at Maynooth University. 
And uh, he says the ongoing delays is costing lives and is contributing to the stress the health system is under. We started our chat by talking about the impact of the last two years. I think it's been a very difficult period, but COVID really has been you know, a big bang disruptor for um, the introduction of healthcare, of digital into healthcare in Ireland. We've also had the ransomware, um, which you know has been sort of a big you know disabler for a lot of services, you know, until that was corrected and and, and fixed. But I think we're coming to the realization that our healthcare system in Ireland is not on a sustainable trajectory. Um, on a ranking globally by CEO world, the Irish healthcare system is number eighty. We uh, have, you know, countries like Iran and Albania and Algeria have actually are ranked as having better healthcare systems. And I think we're coming to a strategic inflection point where we need to do something totally uh, different. And what we have been working in the digital uh, transformation and open innovation team on uh, is a new strategy called Stay Left, Shift Left, completely transforming the healthcare system and globally health systems are all you know finding problems with sustainability and big waiting lists we're particularly challenged um in ireland so we want to actually change the whole paradigm and there are three shifts that we're driving using our digital strategy the shift from illness to wellness so healthcare systems are set up as illness systems rather than helping you know provide wellness so what we think we should do is actually stand up a whole new digital healthcare system which primarily focused on actually maintaining and improving wellness and of course if you do get sick you need an illness system to deal with that but the health elevator living lab that we're about to talk about is exactly about that it's about promoting wellness detecting chronic disease very early and reversing it there's going to be a shift from the doctor knows best to actually the patient knows best and the more we can empower and enable and educate the patient and have them or the citizen take responsibility, for, you know, the better the outcomes we will get. And then the third shift is the shift from a hospital to home. Already in the U.S., McKinsey are saying by 2025, 40% of admissions to healthcare facilities such as hospitals and so on will actually occur in the home. We actually have technology that we're trialing today that actually gives better vital signs in your home than you actually have in any of our acute hospitals. So technology is going to enable these big shifts. We're going to have what we call the quantified self and patients who are our citizens who are better instrumented than we ever were, were before. We'll have closed loop digital medicine so we can detect very early, for example, the onset of hypertension or pre-diabetic conditions and immediately intervene and reverse them. And this is very important because, for example, typically about 70% of deaths uh, come from uncontrolled chronic diseases. And in the US, 90% of all healthcare comes from chronic diseases and probably it's maybe slightly lower number in Ireland, but it's still um, a higher number. So what we have done, we we like to talk to talk, but we also like to walk to talk. We've been using an approach called Open Innovation 2.0. So we've had a couple of technologies that came about because of the response to COVID are now dramatically or are, are, are widespread deployed across the country. So, for example, Respirosense is a technology that uh, measures in real time 
the respiration rate of a citizen or a patient. And this has been a problem for a couple of hundred years. Um, during a company in Cork called Respirosense, in the first week of COVID, we worked with Miles Murray and Respirosense and Professor Richard Costello to deploy this technology into Bowman. And we soon found out that we could have up to 12 hours notice of a patient desaturating using this technology. Um, we've now taken that technology and it's deployed across 23 hospitals. And it really is changing the nature of, of clinical practice. I was down with some of the nurses in Wexford about two weeks at Wexford General Hospital. And they're saying how much earlier notice is it's giving of a patient deteriorating and that it's literally saving lives. And we've now taken this technology out into, into Donegal, actually in remote parts of Donegal where we're working with Professor Vera Keatings and Annette Doherty, or Antoinette Doherty. And we have patients, COPD patients, who may be hospitalized five or six times a year. We call them frequent flyers. But Antoinette and Professor Keatings are able to see their respiration rates in real time and get, can detect a deterioration and get sort of alerted. And they can immediately um, activate a rescue script, whether that be, you know, a new an antibiotic or some steroids or whatever. And what we've seen in this living lab is 100% success rates that um, exacerbations that would have, you know, maybe resulted in a 12-day hospital stay, they have been avoided. The patient gets to stay at home and there's a massive cost-saving as well as offload of acute capacity that can be used for other patients. So what, what we're starting to see is this new shift to a digital health and wellness system. And we worked with Eamon Coslow again in the first week of COVID to develop a solution for remote monitoring of COVID-19 based on primarily based on oxygen saturation uh, readings coming from a pulse oximeter. We now have more than a thousand respiratory patients being monitored from home. So they are patients with COPD, with cystic fibrosis, with ILD, with severe asthma. And otherwise, those patients actually may need to be in hospitals. And this transition is you know, happening. We're, we're quite close to a threshold moment uh, where instead of this sort of being the early adopters, this is going to go mainstream. And we've been working closely, for example, with um, Centric Health and Roche, and we've been monitoring heart failure patients uh, from home. Uh, patients feel much safer. So instead of getting maybe eight checkups a year, they are being checked all the time and we can intervene immediately if something bad is happening and it's offloading capacity from the healthcare system. So this is another technology with about 150 patients using this, but this, this was scaled rapidly. It could make huge inroads into solving our acute, acute capacity because it's estimated we have about 90,000 patients with heart failure conditions, about 10,000 are added every year. If we're able to remotely monitor these patients and keep them out of the hospital, then it frees the, the hospitals for the patients that are really sick and keeps these um, these patients you know, much safer. And they've got much better well-being because they feel they've been monitored all the time. Yeah, I think it's incredible to hear about the real life benefits of technology, innovation and just new ways of doing things. But I want to ask, do consumer technologies like the Apple Watch, the Samsung Watch or a Fitbit, do they have a role to play when it comes to people's well-being and health or does it have to come through the health service? 
Yeah, no, it, it, that's a very good question. Look, they're all beneficial. Uh, what we're trying to do with our health elevator um, living lab and uh, people can actually register for that uh, on next Monday. We're going to offer this service to 500 citizens at checkmyhealth.ie. And what happens there is you register with a CarePlus pharmacy. You get a 15-minute you know, health assessment that's looking at your BMI. It's looking at your pulse rate. It looks at your peak flow from your lungs. It checks for atrial fibrillation. And within 24 hours, you get a report in plain English, telling you about your health, whether it's good or if there's a risk factor that you need to be concerned about. We also provide a, an electronic health record um, on the mobile phone uh, to the patient, uh, as well as a, a fitness device uh, and a subscription to a digital therapeutic for, for fitness. So, um, you know, having a device like movement is, is 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 medicine. So, you know, having a consumer device, an Apple device or Fitbit, or whatever, is actually really helpful. And when people have information, it actually changes their behavior. And what we're trying to do is very much sort of turbocharge that. And we, we have 11 companies, we almost call it Oceans 11, that are working together to provide this new proactive wellness service. And our vision would be over just a short period of years that the state would be able to offer this proactive wellness service to every citizen on, in the country that wants it. So you get assessed, you get a report, and then you get provided with a wellness device. It could be a Fitbit, it could be an Apple, a Huawei. We work with all those companies. And you get the means and you also get some prompting because nudges are really important. You know, Part of the group, the Health Elevator group, is also Irish Life Health, and they provide the excellent My Life app to everybody in the country for free. And it's a holistic wellness assessment. It, it looks at nutrition, it looks at alcohol consumption, it looks at exercise, it looks at mental health. Um, and the more we can integrate and synthesize these offerings and provide better education, better enablement to citizens, the better our health will become. Um, Irish Life Health recently published their State of the Nation report, and what they found is that the average Irish person had added um, three pineapples worth of weight uh, during COVID, which is kind of quite shocking and, and significant. We are the second most obese nation um, in, in, in Europe. And if we can provide nudges and therapeutics and guidance to help people to exercise more, to, you know, nutrition is, is critically important. We have a diabetic, um, diabetes 2 epidemic in Ireland, probably 10% of our spend is on diabetes. And we're just about to go into a living lab in Wexford General Hospital with John Nolan and the excellent Linda O'Leary, where we're hoping to significantly reduce the amount of diabetics that are hospitalized every year. Now, there are some very sophisticated technologies who work very closely with Medtronic and Ronan Hurley and his team here in Ireland. And Medtronic has a product called a 780G. Arguably, it's called a digital pancreas. Uh, so in, in real time, you're looking at the blood glucose levels. And then there's a digital pump, which is injecting exactly the right amount of insulin 
to keep the patient in, in control. And one of my colleagues in Dell spoke at one of our digital academy forums and he um, suffers, he's a diabetic, but he was routinely hospitalized four or five times a year um, for out of control conditions. And since he has taken using this technology, he hasn't had a single hospitalization. So, you know, I think the, the, the technologies, the consumer technologies are great. Then when we layer on proactive wellness, they can deliver, you know, even better results. And then for somebody who actually is sick or has a chronic condition, the technologies can really work to to keep them out of hospital. And, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, Dexcom and Medtronic and the, you know, the, the Freestyle Libra devices are more and more popular, helping, you know, pe people better control their diabetic uh, conditions. But I think we you know, arguably are, you know, around the world, we're seeing a diabetes 2 epidemic and things can get ugly, unfortunately, you know, if that disease progresses and people, you know, you lose toes. But again, when that happens, we work with a, a, a company in, in, in Galway, Blue Rock Medical, and diabetic foot ulcers are a really difficult problem. They result in lots of amputations, lots of costs, you know, lots of heartache, uh, but Blue Drop have a very slick weight weighing scales that takes a, a, ter a thermal image and a um, a photographic image of a person's foot and can detect you know early on if a foot ulcer is emerging and that can be treated and then uh, so so many devices coming the Internet of Things is changing things the artificial intelligence is going to be hugely um, important if. We deploy these digital technologies. What we're seeing is a pattern of returns that are really extraordinary. Um, the virtual respiratory solution we worked last or two weeks ago with a nurse and the physio in Our Lady of Lourdes actually calculate the return and investment on deployment of remote monitoring solutions for respiratory during COVID in Our Lady of Lourdes. And the numbers are staggering. It added almost 2% capacity back to the hospital because patients with COVID-19 could be remotely monitored from home or discharged early. But when we did the maths on the return, it was like 10,000%. So returns are so compelling and are actually relatively inexpensive that we could potentially you know, transform our lagging health, healthcare system. We very much are a laggard in Europe and globally into a leader. Our goal by 2025, Jess, is to be one of the top European health systems, and by 2030 to be in the top 10 uh, globally. It's a political decision, um, and we need to put the investment in with what we're pouring into our system using you know, the conventional ways of, of delivering care. Martin, is there a will to make this happen? You know, I'm sure anyone with a chronic condition and listening now will know that fewer hospital visits could transform their life. So do you anticipate budget being made available to make this happen? Myself and a number of colleagues have formed something called the Irish Digital Health Leadership Steering Group. And we have about 80 members. They're leaders across Irish society. They're hospital consultants, they're academics, they're CEOs of hospitals, there's patients, there's tech people. And we're agitating for the setup of what we call a digital health agency. This has actually been government policy for um, since 2013, since Minister Riley announced that um, it's been twice been recommended by HICWA that we need a separate agency for e-health or, or digital health. 
But we are all beginning to doubt the political will. Uh, we're trying to mobilize the political support. There's just a handful of, you know, Eamon Ryan, to his credit, Minister Robert Troy. Um, these are very supportive, but we found it very difficult um, to engage or to get sort of, you know, response from the people that are actually chartered to, to lead this um, politically. So something is going to shift because this is so obvious. It's such a no-brainer and you know, this will come. Uh, but every month or every quarter that we delay the adoption of these technologies, more people die. What's shocking, Jess, is our waiting lists have doubled since Launchiker. So Launchiker is a good strategy. We actually need some uh, accountability and the people need to hold our political and health leaders to account. These solutions are here. They're clinically proven. We have some of the top clinicians in the country are sponsoring and driving these initiatives and yet the money is not flowing uh, to actually drive these solutions so i think the establishment of a digital health agency is going to be crucially important and actually ramping up these solutions because everything's digital transformation is hard it is hard but it's not as hard as actually people think it is everybody thinks we need gazillions of of you know euros to do it we actually don't we need a fraction of what we're currently spending. We're currently spending 21 billion on a healthcare system that is probably the worst in the Northern Hemisphere or very close and is actually getting worse. A small fraction of that applied to digital solutions would completely transform the system and would, you know, people would be better. They'd actually live longer. We actually think, Jess, we could add about two and a half years of quality life to every citizen in Ireland every five years through better data and digital clinical care made a huge impact and we, there was great growth in longevity. But in the future, it's going to be data and digital and they're going to be our primary uh, weapon for fighting disease. The better educated the patients are, the better data we have the earlier that we can intercept disease because chronic disease, it can't be cured, but it actually can be um, reversed. So if we catch these conditions early and we inform patients and citizens, they can change their behaviors because nobody wants to go to hospital. Everybody wants to be well. And we can detect re really early the onset of a chronic disease and, and, and turn it around. So what the Irish Digital Health Leadership Steering Group, and we're all working towards creating this, this new future, uh, but there is a culture war going on. And this happens all the time. The NHS are you know, well aware of this, have written extensively, but a transition is coming. But what we need to do is accelerate it because the quicker we accelerate it, the more people that live longer, lives are saved, and actually people live better lives. So... Um, yeah, it's we're, for Ireland, we're coming to this strategic inflection point and we have to make this political decision to say yes. And it may well be the next government that actually, you know, makes the decision to, to do it. You know, there seems to be a reticence among some people in the current government to actually adopt this and do this. And it's so clear the clinical evidence is, is there 10x reduction in hospitalization for heart failure, you know, 20x cheaper keeping a respiratory patient, you know, in their home than in, in a hospital. Um, yeah, it's we just need to go ahead and do it. I remember when we spoke a few years ago, you told me that your budget is less than 0.1% of the entire HSE budget. Um, can you give me a figure? Can you put a figure on 
how much money would make a difference to add those years onto lives and keep people well for longer? Yeah, so we 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 deal a lot in in ten percent. You know, everything is ten x, and a lot of the data, like the minimum of returns we're seeing, are ten x. You know, on heart failure and so on. So at the Irish Digital Health Leadership Group, we have prepared a roadmap, and it's you know, crawl, walk, run. We would immediately spend thirty five million. That's only thirty five million on twenty five ten x programs. That will transform initially, you know, heart failure, respiratory, diabetes, stroke. The second year, we would, you know, increase that by a factor of 10x to 350 million. And that would, you know, help us scale. And then you might get a steady state, you know, in year three, which would be, you know, three point something billion. But what you would have created actually is a completely new digital health and wellness system that's all about keeping people well and improving their health. And yes, of course, you still need an illness system because people will get sick, people have accidents, and you need that. But these two systems can increase in, or can totally exist you know, and be totally complementary. But 35 million or 350 million is a f- tiny fraction. It's a rounding error of the 21 billion, a billion that we're currently spending. And we're spending this and actually performance isn't getting better. It's actually getting worse. Our hospitals are completely full at the moment. They're actually 10 to 15% busier than we would normally see in the darkest of the winter days. Um, so if this continues, we're really going to have a serious emergency when we get into the winter months. So there isn't a day to lose. We just need to do this, Jess. Yeah, it's very difficult um, or I find it very difficult to understand how money could be a barrier to those benefits and really, truly impact our health service. Hopefully that money is found and uh, we can all reap the benefits before it goes on too much longer. Uh, Professor Martin Curry, Director of Digital Transformation and Innovation at the HSE, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Uh, when we come back, we'll check in with one of the largest tech retailers out of the back to school, back to college rush. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, if you want to get in touch, you can drop me an email at any stage. It's techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and indeed Instagram at Jess Kelly NT. I do a weekly Q&A on Instagram. Uh, it tends to be on a Monday. So if you've got any burning tech questions, you're looking for a recommendation and you're on Instagram, uh, go to at Jess Kelly NT and look out for the question box. I answer as many as I can uh, every single week. Now, do you have a drawer full of old tech that you want to get rid of, but you're not sure how or where? A recent survey found that 71% of people have three or more old, unused devices just gathering dust in their homes, which is obviously not ideal. Curry's is looking to tackle this issue. And Jamie Cantwell, head of commercial at The Retailer, joins me now to tell me more. Uh, Jamie, you're welcome to the show. So explain what, what is Curry's doing to try and tackle this? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially what we're trying to do is is make it easier for consumers to actually let go, I guess, of this kind of unwanted tech that's sitting around in, in all of our, our homes at the minute. So it's um it's a recycling service in which when we're delivering a large appliance, 
um, or TV or basically any any kind of large item that we're uh, delivering to your home, not only will we take away whatever large appliances um, that you have, uh, we'll also take away any uh, I suppose unwanted small tech as well. So I mean, it doesn't even necessarily need to be something that that we sell. It just needs to be, um, I guess, a, a, an unwanted electrical item that you don't want. And and our guys in in uh, in our delivery team will will take it away for you. Yeah, I think it's a simple solution to an issue that I know many people have. I myself have a toaster and a kettle sitting in my storage press because I haven't managed to get to a facility to recycle them yet. Um, does this just apply to kitchen appliances or does it include phones and tablets and all the rest? No, it's absolutely anything at all. Um, I mean, down to electrical power tools. Um, I mean, really, it, it it's anything that you have. If it has a plug, <laughs> we'll take it. That's that's what essentially for uh, for us. But um, basically any any small electrical, so you could have you know hair dryers, old you know DVD players, chargers, cables, essentially anything um, tech related will take away for you. So we actually work with um, both ERP and with We Ireland, um, and so we're you know we're already. I guess, recycling thousands and thousands of products with them um, every year. So it goes through that exact same um, recycling process with them, whereby we'll, we'll take it all back to kind of a centralised location um, and then um, either ERP or, or we will come and uh, collect it. One question that crops up the entire time when it comes to the recycling of phones, tablets or anything that carries personal data is, is it safe? Absolutely. So everything, depending on the product, will go through, you know, different types of almost what's kind of known as a, a shredding process where, you know, everything is, is kind of completely wiped and, and cleared and then completely, I suppose, um, disassembled so that it's only the parts that, you know, that can actually be used to be recycling and that that are, are sent off then to their their kind of various factories and, and locations. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. We've spoken quite a bit on this show about the life cycle of devices and the benefits of refurbished items and obviously the energy ratings on things like washing machines. Are you seeing any trends that back up my theory that people are more conscious about the environmental impact of their tech? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I even think that there is an element, um, I suppose, that the couple of years in in the pandemic has really contributed to this as well in terms of, you know, consumers really, I guess, reevaluating their values and, and their priorities and kind of what's important. So absolutely, you know, the expectation there, you know, now is that when when you're going and when you're purchasing from somebody that you're doing with somebody that's quite, you know, ethical, responsible, that has, you know, sustainability values. And, and so we're seeing that absolutely coming through in any of the research that we're doing uh, with consumers at the minutes. And, and that's feeding then directly into, you know, some of the initiatives that we're looking to land as well, so that it's not only, you know, product and price, but that it's, you know, taking into account that entire shopper journey and everything really from kind of start to, to finish. Yeah, I think it's great to see a retailer taking on some of the responsibility here and doing some of the heavy lifting rather than just leaving it to the consumer. Um, We're obviously talking at the beginning of August, the back to school, back to college prep is underway. How are you guys set in terms of readiness for that rush when it comes to supply? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really the last kind of couple of years um, as a whole for anybody really in retail has been um, quite strange and, and quite tough, definitely at, at different um, points of the year. Everybody will have heard, you know, the challenges that were there around, you know, elements, you know, of, of kind of chips and just different components that was making it really difficult to get certain products out into the market. And so um, this time last year, 
uh, you know, there would have been a, a huge amount of, of just noise, you know, that you would have heard um, around that. Uh, things are definitely better. We're we're in a, a significantly, I suppose, better place than where we would have been this time last year, uh, which is brilliant. So, I mean, I think we've, we've taken all of those kind of learnings from the last couple of years and really just pulled forward as much of the prep as we can to make sure that we're getting that supply into our business, you know, much, much sooner so that it's there on hand. And I mean, we're already seeing, you know, consumers starting to, you know, either come online or, or into the shops. And um, even if, you know, they're not necessarily making their final purchase, absolutely uh, trying to understand what's available. And and so it's it's definitely starting uh, to pick up. The, the gears are definitely uh, grinding there, but we're extremely well set up for it, which, um, it, you know, is a brilliant thing to be able to say, I suppose, um, still a couple of weeks out. You mentioned the online presence there. Are you seeing the footfall return to um, post-pandemic levels in store or are people choosing to shop online? Yeah, I mean, this this was actually a really interesting one because I think a lot of people would have assumed that with just how much of that um, market went online um, throughout the pandemic, you know, that it would stay that way. But we're absolutely seeing um, consumer patterns almost revert back to uh, pre-pandemic um, I suppose trends. So a lot of people coming back into stores, definitely seeing, you know, the pickup in footfall and, and people really wanting to get in and get their hands on, on the tech. But we've always had a really, really strong online business. And we, we've always, I suppose, had a, a kind of a higher share of our business transacting through online as well. So that's actually stayed quite strong, which is great. But definitely the pattern is consumers returning to stores. So even if they're starting that research you know, online, even if they're finishing the purchase online, they're absolutely coming into store to to have a look and, and have a feel. Yeah, I think when it comes to tech, people like to touch and feel it and see how it sits in the hand if it's a smaller device. Or even when I'm up in Curry's and Carrick Mines, I've seen people open and close the doors on the washing machines and the fridges just to see if they're happy with the click or if they're happy with the colour, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of these products, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're quite expensive outlays for people as well. And, you know, hopefully you'll get a long time out of that kind of tech too. So, I mean, something as small as wanting to know, you know, the noise that um, the, the button on a hob makes, you know, mm-hmm. as in when, when you click it or what is the actual difference between an 8kg washing machine and a 9kg a lot of that, I mean, nothing better than coming in and actually getting to talk to somebody about it and actually see it and and really kind of feel um, that little bit more confident, I suppose, in your purchase. I mentioned back to school and back to college there, and I know I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but Christmas is only really around the corner. Um, I know from talking to your colleagues in the past that your prep starts, you know, way ahead of time. You're not waiting for October to come around before you start planning. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Um, I mean, really kind of our... Our summer time, which is, you know, traditionally a, a, a bit of downtime for certain areas is really our kind of prep. Um, and how do we make sure that we're ready for all those things like Black Friday and, and Christmas and all of that? So we're, we're well set up, but um, definitely actually seeing some of the, the trends from last year following in. Um, and a lot of this goes back to one of your kind of uh, first points around the supply last year. Not everyone was actually able to get their hands on everything they wanted last year, you know, particularly things around gaming and all of that. So that is still incredibly popular and still, I think, going to be top of a lot of people's uh, wish lists um, heading into this Christmas as well. In terms of the stock, how does that work? You know, are there warehouses here in Ireland or does it all come in from the UK into stores? Yeah, so it's a combination of both. 
Um, so we've, we've two large warehouses in Ireland where, where we'd obviously have stock held, but also we're pulling from an incredibly large um, warehouse in the UK as well. And, and some uh, product is coming, you know, direct into Ireland from, from suppliers too. So really it is, it's a combination of all of the different um, approaches and essentially whatever is best in terms of getting uh, that stock into us quicker, you know, getting it into consumers' hands faster. So whichever route works best for that is, is the route we take. So we're we're lucky to be able, I suppose, to pull from a lot of different avenues to, to make sure we keep that supply um, really strong. Great stuff. Well, Jamie Cantwell, thank you so much uh, for talking to us. That was Jamie Cantwell, Head of Commercial at curries uh, and as I mentioned at the top if you are buying a big device whether it's a fridge a washing machine a telly anything like that and you have old tech lying around the home uh, you can get that taken away when your new device gets delivered which is very very handy uh, that is it from me this week if you missed any of the show you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast because you get extra content and extended interviews that will drop every single Friday at noon. John Fardy's up next here on News Talk with Screen Time. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.